Hello and welcome to Clappercast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Carson Tamar, and today I am happy to be joined by Alina Falds. Hello. And Ewan Gletto. Hello. So everyone right now is talking about Sundance, but there still are some releases being released. Um, and just, I mean, I'll just speak from myself here. We're definitely in January at this point. Definitely kind of starting to walk out of award season. Um, so we have to start somewhere. Let's start with Penguin Bloom. Yes, it's all of us. When an unlikely ally enters the Bloom's family world in the form of an injured baby magpie, they name Penguin the bird arrival makes a profound difference in the struggling family's life. Elena, you saw this last year at the film festival circuit. What did you think of Penguin Bloom? Why don't you start us off? Yeah, I saw Penguin Bloom last September during TIFF because it premiered there. And it's a very sweet family movie but there's really not much going on other than that so it like Naomi Watts is like the main character she's the mom and she has a family of three boys and a husband and they're all like very active and sporty they like hiking and swimming and all this like outdoor stuff and then they go they're Australian and so they go on a family vacation to Thailand and there's this one point when they're like up on a rooftop and looking out over Thailand or whatever. And Naomi Watts like leans on the railing and she falls like a bunch and breaks her back. And then we enter the movie and she has to deal with her uh, new disability, I guess. And then She's really struggling with that because, you know, she's a sporty girl and she can't walk anymore. And like, she's like, dang, this really sucks. And she feels like she's not a mother anymore. And like, there's a lot of nuance to it. And then there's also this magpie named Penguin that's like an injured baby bird. And uh, their journeys kind of mirror each other. And I don't know, I feel like as I'm explaining it, it's a very silly movie, but it's based on a true story. So I don't know. I feel I give it a lot of slack since it's based on a true story and I really like animals. So, you know, it, it's fine. Like It's a cute movie and it's fine. What did you guys think? Yeah, it's it's fine. I think that's the, that's the only real verb to describe it with that. It's, it's kind of, you know, you, you go into one of these things and you know what to expect. It's sort of, uh, it's inevitable. It's sort of an adaptation of a book and it, it, it there's, there's nothing unique about this. It's very schmaltzy. It's very cliche. It's very, there's, there's nothing unique about it um i don't know it's just such a i remember watching it and it ended and the credits were rolling it's like nothing happened really like obviously there's events going on but none, none of it really felt circumstantial or really engaging it's, it's nothing we haven't seen before with something like this yeah i agree a running theme for me on this podcast today is going to be cinematic white noise because i feel like quite a lot of these films just are there and it's you know there's definitely a runtime there's definitely i guess characters and actors acting but really nothing leaves an impact penguin bloom feels very similar to that you know for me again it is very sweet and i think there are some like legitimate kind of worthy points here um especially as alina you mentioned her kind of re-examining herself as a mother um i think this is a film that really excels in taking these really small kind of everyday moments and kind of showing the actual like legitimate emotion behind them uh, there's a scene where like her son is throwing up in the middle of the night and she's just trying to figure out what's going on, but she can't really like get up to go check. Uh, there's a scene where she goes out to like lunch for the first time since her accident um, and she doesn't want to use the parking space and she goes and even though that space is necessarily like 
physically accessible for her. She has a lot of, of complex emotions and kind of fears um, that come in that moment. I think those are where the mo movie really shines. And I like the fact that it justifies having a deeper emotional experience for those more like casual moments. Um, but I mean, even with that said, this is a completely forgettable film. And I do find it a little bit confusing in tone because this is clearly like an adult film, but I also feel like there are clear sequences trying to make it like a family film, especially with this magpie like walking around getting into trouble uh, and they play like this kind of quirky music and you kind of see him, oh, oh, he's with the monkey now. Oh no, he's smashing the jar of jam or whatever. And it's just, what are you doing? Like this is clearly meant to be a kid's movie in this sequence, but it clearly isn't in a kid's movie for the rest of the feature. Um, I, but I mean, I don't judge this film for anything either. Like there's nothing offensively bad here, but there's also really nothing that incredible of impact either. So I'm pretty much in the middle of where you two are, I think. I think it's it's, it's what you said there about, you know, she can't get up in the middle of the night to go and check on her kids or she doesn't want to use the parking bit. Th those are really important, poignant moments that are sort of, they don't quite come together as they should because the script just feels a bit, I don't know, it just feels rather repetitive, forgettable. There's nothing quite... I mean, Naomi Watts and Andrew Lincoln are very good in the leading roles. They're two great actors, but there's nothing really interesting about what they're doing. It's it's sort of, there's a disconnect between what they're actually doing and what they're trying to relay to the audiences. And I think a lot of that comes down to sort of, not the pacing, but um, sort of the, the, the indifference of the director. I, what's, what's his name? Uh... Glendon Ivan, who just sort of goes through the motions a bit and there's no real voice to be heard from from behind the camera. There's nothing really exceptional about the, the camera work or the cinematography. There's just sort of it's it's very flatlining the whole way through. And I think what you said there about grief, it handles that well. It's it's sort of a, it's gonna be a recurring theme for the, the three three films on this podcast. But I don't know, something about Penguin Bloom, it's sort of like you said, Carson, it's it does feel a bit childlike, including the penguin, the magpie, the bird, whatever it is. It's not a fucking penguin. Why is it called penguin? I know it's a true story, it's but it's not a penguin. I don't care. It's not a penguin. I was really looking forward to actually seeing a penguin. I think I would have bumped it up half a star if I'd seen a penguin. But, Agreed. Uh, it, it's just sort of a void of nothingness. There's like stalwart actors plugging away just as they do. They're just going through the motions a bit. And it's not to know i think in in a world where netflix are pumping these films out so often so frequently adaptations and stuff you got to stand out or it's not just it's just not going to come together and i think that's the big issue penguin bloom has where if the direction had taken a bit of a turn or the writing was a bit more consistent i think great that would have been much better but it was not to be i find it interesting how it feels like not really much happens in this film because there's actually like quite a few plot lines going on but they're just so like similar that it doesn't feel that way it's because like Naomi Watts the mother she's like trying to um overcome her disability um or like not overcome it but like navigate this like new life she has um and then the magpie penguin she has to learn how to fly because she's an injured bird and she has to overcome like this and whatever so they have a very similar thing and then the sons in the movie, um, the younger two don't really like do anything, but the older one, I think his name is Noah, um, he feels like a lot of guilt um, towards his mother's accident because he was the one who like invited his parents up onto the rooftop and was like, hey, look at this. So he blames himself for his mother's accident. So it, like, it all relates back to like accidents and like disabilities and like guilt. So like there's multiple things going on but it doesn't feel that way if that makes sense you know it does and and the randomness of accidents you know there's that scene where he, he mentions how many tourists go there each year and how oh it just randomly happened to them it's no one's fault that it really happened you know it's just completely random um i mean it is it like on paper those sound powerful but in like practice they just i don't know why but they just don't work i feel like this film has this era of like 
almost like storybook, like fictional to it, which is weird considering it is based on a true story. But like when they're trying to sell the fact, oh, like she was a very active woman and they just have that scene of her like fucking plowing on the beach, just fucking going a hundred miles on the beach as hard as she can, just like how no one ever has in real life. Like those scenes don't speak of like authenticity to me when it's trying to portray those like larger ideas. It just feels kind of like a weird fictional storybook that is void of like reality. It's very strange. I think the, the the big issue is that true story doesn't mean good story, and I don't think Penguin Bloom quite grasps that. It's great to see more representation for disabilities in in larger products, but I don't think it's not handled with interest or with. I mean, it's handled with care. I, I don't think there's anything in Penguin Bloom that would offend or insult anyone. But I, I, I at the same time, there's nothing there that's like that's a, that's a powerful message to send to an audience. There's nothing. It just sort of staggers about looking for sympathy at times, and there's not really any reason to connect with these characters. This feels like the perfect Netflix film. I it's watching yes. it, it's kind of surprising to me that like it wasn't originally Netflix production, it was picked up from a festival because this is the perfect, like inoffensive. You can say it has stuff going on, but it's not really doing anything big. You know, this is film number four out of 52 that they're releasing this year every week. Like it feels very much so like that to me. That 52 films thing worries me because they've barely got enough creative power to do five, but we'll see how that goes. Hey, it just means we're going to have a lot of garbage content to rest this year. So <laughs> you say good. this, that includes The Kissing Booth 2. The, uh, That's the not garbage. Three, I'm ready to, for it. To All the Boys I Loved Before 2, probably a couple Christmas films. No, it's To All the Boys 3. It's the third one. Oh, to all the, oh that's right. Yeah. They release, wow. Yeah. If they do Christmas Chronicles 3, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'll handle that well. <laughs> You don't like you don't like uh, Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. No, not at all. <laughs> Overall, I think the Penguin Bloom. Andrew Lincoln's good. I think he does well as the supporting performer. I think Naomi Watts is fine in her leading role. There is sort of a semblance of Oscar bit there. This is one of those films that's meant to either catapult someone towards an award. This isn't a film that's sort of like made. No, nobody joins this film to sort of spark a bit of creativity in themselves. There's nothing here that would engage with, you know, a new audience or a wider audience. This is very much a Netflix film that your parents are going to enjoy on a lazy Sunday and it'll leave nothing. It'll leave no sort of semblance of interest or any idea on your mind. It's just, oh, look look at look at the magpie penguin and that's it. Yeah, as I was watching it, I rewatched it yesterday and I just kind of had it on in the background while I was like doing other things because I'd already seen it and I feel like I don't fully need to pay attention to it. But like, I don't, I just kept having this thought. I was like, this, this is a movie that my mom would like. And that's the best way to describe it. This is a movie your mom would like. I think even the posters like, oh yeah, Naomi Watts is smiling. She has a magpie penguin in her hand. It's very cute and nice. Mm-hmm. Friendly. It's a very friendly film. Yeah. Like if I was a parent, this is like a movie I would watch with my like older children like that are like 12-ish and up because I think it is like a very good representation of like disability on screen because when it was coming out at TIFF I I saw like a few people were like "Mm, this might be ableism and then there was like a big discussion about that but I really don't think it is I think it's handled in a really like nuanced and beautiful way so I think it's a good film to show for that but it's not like unique by any sense of the word I just want to say like if you have a wild injured animal, don't fucking keep it. That's stupid. Bring it to a wildlife rehabber. And I know I sound like an obnoxious vegan saying that, but like, don't, don't fucking keep wild animals. It's stupid. Um, I had to like, let it go for this film because I didn't want to make myself angry. But now that I'm thinking about it again, don't fucking keep wild animals. You're a moron if you do it. Well, this one's rough because <laughs> like they try to feed the bird at first and it won't eat for like weeks. And it's like definitely not healthy to begin with until it meets this mother. So I, yeah, get rid of the yeah. bird. There's like so many like people, at least in Ontario, that are like certified wildlife rehabbers. Like it's a thing you can get. So just bring the freaking injured chipmunk or squirrel or bird or whatever the fuck it is to them and they will take care of it properly and then release it normally jesus christ anyway so that's the thing i didn't like about penguin bloom it just kind of like messed with my morals it's kind <sighs> of they, they use it as like a therapy animal and it's it's just a bird they found in the garden it's happenstance they could have gone a right? dog or like a chicken. exactly get a three-legged dog yeah There's exactly shelters. <laughs> yeah there's a lot of disabled animals that need adopting like there's plenty 
god. <laughs> so moral of the story of Penguin Bloom, bring your wild animals into professionals and go to the pound and get a adopted or get a disabled dog. Yeah. That's I would have liked that movie better. <laughs> And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Okay, and then on that note, moving on to HBO Max, the first, well, I think actually I'm probably only want to watch this on HBO Max, but the first one in the deal of 2021, the entire slate going to theaters and streaming. We have the little things from John Lee Hancock. You know him, didn't you? Then you had that one little feeling. But you waved it away. You should have listened to that one little feeling. Just like I'm listening to you now. You can talk to me. I'm all a friend you got. You're not exactly a department favorite. Things probably changed a lot since you left. You still gotta catch him, right? Yeah. Not that much has changed then, right? Deke, a Burntow, Kern County, California deputy sheriff, teams with Baxter, a crack LASD detective, to nab a serial killer. Deke's nose for the little things proves eerily accurate, but his willingness to follow the rules embroils Baxter in a soul-shattering dilemma. Meanwhile, Deke must wrestle with a dark secret from his past. Boy, that was probably the worst I've ever read, a plot synopsis. But with that said, Ewan, why don't you jump to this one? Because you like this film somehow. I did. I... (laughs) I I think I already know your main issue with it, and it's going to be that it feels reminiscent of pretty much every other crime thriller that has come before it. And I think I understand that completely. I think the, the first half especially is very reminiscent of Seven. Um, no, I, don't, I think for me, it's sort of seeing Denzel Washington and Rami Malek, who are fantastic, phenomenal performers, they, they have such chemistry here that sort of it, it manages to overcome the rather big issues of uh you know ripping off seven mind hunter and you know um and the pledge with jack nicholson it, it, it just amalgamates all these different films and the end product is more or less a, a vehicle for denzel washington and rami malik and even a bit of jared leto to just sort of career forwards and push on and it doesn't really give uh john lee hancock much to do his direction isn't best throughout this it's very flat it's very bland it's very direct it doesn't manage to quite overcome those david fincher mindhunter aesthetics for the most part but as far as performances go and as far as like if you just want a a, a decent crime thriller just it's very very straightforward you know what's going to happen by the end of it it's it's fine it's a fine product and i think it, it gives me a bit of optimism for hbo max's later issues and projects um I think a lot of this depends on how much you like the leading performers, though. So I would describe The Little Things also as a movie that is just fine. I watched it last night. Um, I rented it on iTunes, and originally I wasn't going to because in Canada it is $24.99 to rent, which is fucking whack. And I know that has been a thing since the pandemic, and I know people justify it by saying, like, oh, you can watch it with other people. You can watch it with your family. I am a 23-year-old Girl, I live with my boyfriend. He hates watching movies. So I have to pay for these bullshit things and spend $24.99 on myself. I hate it. So I wasn't going to do it because I heard this movie was terrible. And then my boyfriend had a leftover iTunes gift card. So I watched it because of the leftover iTunes gift card. And that's the only reason I watched it. So I'll make that clear. This movie is not worth $24.99 Canadian is what I'm going to say. But it's fine. Um, I really, really like true crime. Like, my dad's a cop. I've been obsessed with all those, like, horrible, traumatic, like, true crime things since I was, like, too young to watch them. Like, you know how there's that stereotype of, like, white girls being super obsessed with, like, serial killers? That's me, but, like, in a less crazy way. Like, I'm not obsessed with them. They just fascinate me, you know? In a respect Like, I'm literally, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not, like, obsessed with Ted Bundy, you know? Like, I'm reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark right now. Really good book, by the way. Anyway, so point is, I really like true crime. So as I was watching this movie, I was into it because I really like watching a crime investigation unfold. But there's not really anything unique about it until the ending. Because, <sighs> like, Denzel Washington is just, like, He's been haunted by a missing person's murder case, whatever. And then Rami Malik is haunted by this new missing person's murder case or whatever. 
and then they meet each other and like, oh my God, these sound related. Let's be obsessed with this together. There's this creepy dude. It's probably him because it's always the creepy dude. And then the ending pissed me off. I thought it was stupid and dumb and it made me really mad. And I wish they had just gone and done like a boring as fuck crime investigation because the twist in it, I, I feel like, I know we shouldn't ruin it, but I feel like this is one when I want to talk about the ending. I'm just like, just why? Why did they do this? It made me so mad. Like I was live, I'm, I'm rambling right now. I'm sorry. But I was like live texting Paul last night, all this like shit. And like at the ending, I was like in all caps. And I was so mad. I was like, this totally like ruined the movie. Like, why did they do that? I'm like, why? It's such a ripoff of Seven and it had so much potential and then they fucked it up. I think the, the end is very predictable. I don't think it could have gone anywhere else. I think the narrative as a whole is just very straightforward. It doesn't dare leave the comfort of cliche and narrative tropes. It's just all there. I think for me though, the, the thematics that Denzel Washington and Rami Malek sort of possess and sort of pick apart it, that was enough to sort of overcome the the obstacle of the story not being very good, because um, I think the the, the opening where Denzel Washington sort of a small town cop and oh, it's obvious that he used to work where Malik works and he used to be in that position of power. It sort of for, for me that sort of showed, as the title would suggest, the little things. It's sort of Denzel wanting to go back to that life and he's starting to get himself more involved in this case, and it's I don't know that worked for me more than anything the narrative could provide the the stuff with jared leto is extremely weak admittedly it's you know you it's jared leto but yeah um i think the build-up's a lot better than the payoff there's you know not much in the end i'll quickly pour one out for all the films and shows and anything you could do with that itunes gift card other than this piece of shit um i i didn't know what to expect we're in this kind of weird state right now where like we're still eligible for Oscars. This one didn't go to a film festival. So, and it has like an established director, a, an established main cast, even though I don't like two out of the three actors like in nearly anything. Um, <clears throat> so I was like, you know, interested in this one. And when I say cinematic white noise, Penguin Bloom, maybe a little bit above that. Supernova, clearly above that. This is the film that completely defines cinematic white noise for me. Uh, I think this is a rather worthless feature in the end. Um, I think the story itself, like I, I mean, like you said, Alina, is not only just stupid, but so unfulfilling. You set up, I'm not going to spoil it, but you set up like a clear like question and clear kind of goal. And it just doesn't get answered. It gets like sidelined by this stupid character drama that I just didn't care about. Um, that was really frustrating. And the performances all around, I think, are genuinely quite bad. Denzel Washington is good. I think, weirdly, Denzel Washington might give, like, one of his better performances in the past, you know, couple years in this film. He is so charismatic and so likable. And I like how he could just puts on a big smile after every single piece of dialogue. And he's just, oh, you know, he, especially when he goes around, like, asking people questions. I found him to be very fun. Uh, Rami Malek, fuck Rami Malek. I, a lot of people love this actor. Everyone fucking loves this actor. Academy Award winner. Everyone, oh, he's so good. I think he's genuinely shit. I don't. I can't think of a single <laughs> thing I like him in. He is so bad in every single wait, thing. Wait, I love him in Night at the Museum. Okay. Okay. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, actually, I'll give you that because everyone at the museum is iconic and great. And actually, yeah. I agree. Other than that, Bohemian Rhapsody. And it might just be, this whole emotion might just be based on Bohemian Rhapsody and how much I hate that film and then trying to watch the Oscars that year with that film. Uh, I think he's genuinely terrible in everything. And I know that's not you know necessarily popular opinion. I think he's terrible here. Just how he says things and just how he like, you know, kind of whispers and how he kind of, you know, his line delivery is so distracting and so off-putting and just so mm -hmm. bad. I, I don't know how people can watch this actor and be like, oh, it's good. I get he did Mr. Robot. I didn't watch Mr. Robot. Sure, maybe he's good in that also. Genuinely though, don't like this character. Jared Leto continually lets me down. I want to like Jared Leto so badly. And every time you see him in a project, you're like, oh, Blade Runner 2049. He was pretty okay in that film. Maybe he, maybe he's actually a good actor. And then he just comes on and he gives shit. And it's like, well, you're not a good actor actually. Um, this is boring. This is bad. I hated this from the very beginning where we cold open on the scene of this woman driving and oh, the car behind her starts stalking her and she has to run through the desert from this guy. Hated that. Hated this film. 
but also weirdly, like, it sounds like I'm really passionate about this film. I'm really not. Like, this is a film that immediately left me when the runtime ended. Uh, much love and respect to anyone who liked this film, but this is, this is like, I think one of the worst Clappercast uh, films I've watched for Clappercast in recent <laughs> memory. This one was just, it, it's so nothing that it makes me angry because it like clearly has the elements to be something, but it's just nothing. I agree with you there where you said um, it's very forgettable. I don't think a few months from now I'll remember this and that might just be because of short-term memory loss or just because it's not very interesting. What, what I will say though is that you know it's, it's the only film you'll get where Malcolm X and Freddie Mercury team up to fight Jared Leto's Joker so it's, it's got that going for it. It's true. But, um, I, I think you're right when you, you both say you know the characters aren't interesting and the direction's very flat and it's very boring and predictable. I don't know why. I think I just needed something sort of safe to watch, you know, something that was very predictable and wasn't going to go anywhere spectacular. I think I was just in the mood for that when I watched it. I, I do think Denzel Washington's the clear star here. Um, he, he tackles similar themes to that. He did in Flight almost. It doesn't quite get there. John Lee Hancock sort of shies away from it at the last minute and then changes it halfway through. It's oddly paced, those background uh, storylines. And I'm not sure why he doesn't feel the, the urge to follow them through because there is something there that he could do. And it is frustrating when, you know, you have Rami Malek and Jared Leto sort of sharing scenes with one another. And that's, you know, I agree with Carson. He's not, that neither of them are very, very interesting actors to watch, but I don't know. I don't, this could have been a lot worse, I think, because you've got Denzel just sort of playing like the salt of the earth cop, charismatic, very suave. And then you've got Rami Malek playing the straight cut suit, uh, FBI agent guy or LASD I don't know what that means but um, I think it's sheriff's department I don't know yeah but I think it's it could cop, be a hell of a lot worse cop detachments in the US are very confusing to me because you guys have like city and state and sheriffs so I'm like oh. I don't understand the difference I don't we know. just have police anyway, yeah we have like uh the RCMP then we have provincial police some and then we have some city police so like it makes more sense to me I guess because I grew up here I feel like if you're in the U.S. it probably makes more sense to you guys I, I don't get it every time I watch like a U.S. like true crime thing I'm like I don't who are these people <laughs> I'm confused <laughs> anyways okay so after I finished this movie last night I went to read the letterbox reviews because I wanted to know like if other people um like how they felt about the ending because I liked it until the ending it's the ending that pissed me off um I read one that said Rami Malek's acting felt like he was an alien in a meat suit and I thought that was really funny and true um I really like him but like I thought he was not great in this movie and I know you guys are really hyping up Denzel but I thought he phoned it in in this movie too and Jared Leto is just like a parody of himself but that dude makes my skin crawl every time he was on screen though like I hated him in this movie he scared the shit out of me um like he needs a haircut and a shower and a nap I'm like why does he walk like that like his when he I don't know how to describe it for like people who are listening but his he's like just so stiff and like just like walking it, he looks like a gingerbread man or something it was fucking weird <sighs> I get really heated about true crime and this isn't even true crime that makes me mad and Carson you mentioned sorry I have one more thing <laughs> from <Sorry. Dr>. <laughs> um <laughs> At the very beginning, when that blonde girl is like driving in her car and then that car is following her and she goes into like a gas station, abandoned, whatever, like closed bar. It was obviously closed woman. Why did you drive in there? If you think you're being followed by a psycho in a car, drive to the nearest police station, fire station, hospital or whatever. Somebody who was our first responder. I say that my dad is a cop. He's always told me this. I don't drive, but... I'm a psycho and I like like to know where every single like police station fire department thing is in my city because I'm crazy and I have a like extreme paranoia of being murdered again because I'm obsessed with true crime my dad's a cop and I hear a lot of horror stories I'm just like if you're being followed go to the police station please or if you see it's close get back in the car like I don't know what she said that five minutes they're banging on the door of the totally dark building thank that stressed me out I hated that part like I feel like that should be common knowledge. Drive to the fucking police station, please. There are some narrative flaws, maybe. <laughs> um, it's I, I, I checked it on Letterboxd. Um, I, honestly, I am surprised at 
how low the average is. This feels like one of those films that sort of like lingers around the three, three point one mark. I don't know. It just surprised me to see it sort of dipping towards you know the lower band. But you know, I I understand that a lot of people, you know, this is quite a predictable project, and the ending is granted very poor. It doesn't yeah. come together as much as it should. But I I will admit I did enjoy it. I think it's one of those films that in a couple months will probably you know just leave my memory and sort of drop down the ranks of my rankings of uh, 2021. Okay, I really want to talk about spoilers. Yeah, we can go totally. to the spoiler section, that's fine. I'll just quickly okay. mention we get there, Paul's review. Uh, the greatest mm-hmm. thing by watching movies from home is I can turn on closed captioning and finally understand Remy Malik. hard agree. Um, <laughs> that would that, make me laugh too. <laughs> that's pretty great. Uh, let's, yeah, let's go ahead. Official spoiler warning, if you haven't seen The Little Things, don't watch it and continue listening or watch it and then come back. We, you know, we're going to spoil it. Let's get into it. Alina. Okay. Do you guys think Jared Leto actually did it or not? Or not? No. Um, no, no, I don't. Interesting. I thought the twist was going to be that Rami Malek did it. No, that would never happen. He's way too much of a like stern, hard ass cop. Of course he would. I've seen him in Night at the Museum too. No. I don't trust him. No. Um, I was talking, again, Paul is like one of my best friends. We talk about all the shitty movies together. He and I think that Jared Leto did it. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like he knew too much, but I don't, I feel like he could have or he couldn't have. And I was really convinced that he did when the red barrette showed up. And then you see that Denzel bought the barrettes. And I'm just like, I don't... (sighs) What I don't like about I hate unsolved. Like, it, it makes me mad when things are unsolved, especially in movies. Like, you could have solved this, Easily. and just like, did who else would have done it if it wasn't Jared Leto's character? Because like, he had like so much connection to at least all the recent victims that like I don't know who else it would be. See, like, that's the issue. There's. Mm-hmm. Aside from Leto, there's no real established character that could have done it. They're banging on yeah. the fact that they want to trick audiences into thinking it is Leto. Yeah. And, and, and they fail to realize that you know you need more than one supporting character to do that. You, you need to throw in red herrings. And, and, and the fact that Jared Leto's character is just a red herring, I didn't even think about that. That's really annoyed me. It's just... <laughs> The thing about this murder mystery is it's not concerned about actually solving a murder mystery. It's concerned about showing Rami Malek's and Dendal Washington's characters and their relationship. And that like that is what it switches the focus to, which is unfulfilling because it sets itself up as a murder mystery. So like you don't mm-hmm. solve the murder, at least, you know, I don't believe it's Jared Leto. If it is Jared Leto, then, you know, you have a little bit more closure there. Um, but that's why it feels so frustrating and so unfulfilling and so like unworthwhile because it doesn't solve its main question and main mystery. It's like the actual thrills just fall to the backside. They're just there to support Denzel and Remy. That's it. I could not believe that Remy Malik's character got into the car with alleged serial killer Jared Leto. It was like, when he was like taking him to like find uh, Rhonda Rathburn's body corpse or whatever, he gets in the fucking car with Jared Leto. Not even a cop car. He gets in Jared Leto's car. I was so stressed. I was like, this bitch is going to get murdered. Like, how stupid are you that you get into a car with a possible criminal serial killer psychopath? Like, he's crazy. He could have been driving you anywhere. He could have killed you, but you killed him instead. I mean, great, but like, what the hell, man? Also, Jared Leto's car. Right? It makes me mad that like Rami Malik killed him because he's like portrayed as such like this hard um, by the books detective. And the fact that he'd like lost his temper made me mad and like because it's supposed to be like "Mm, him and Denzel are the same type of person and whatever and I'm like no Rami you should have been different and you should have solved these murders and like got justice for all these like dead girls and you didn't because you let fucking Jared Leto get to you and I'm like god damn it it's meant to show that good people can do bad things but it doesn't work when the good people we're following just aren't interesting Rami Malek's not an interesting actor or character. He's just sort of, you could have put anyone in that role. And I think beyond my issues with him, I think with that character description, Rami Malek is just the completely wrong kind of actor to sell that performance and sell that character. Because I agree that didn't shine through with like who he was or who mm-hmm. his performance was. Like 
I think he's just the wrong person for this job. Cause I agree. I agree. That character didn't seem like it was going that direction. It doesn't feel like something that character would do. And I think that's largely because of the performance. I also just feel like that's not really something that happens with like detectives, <laughs> you know, like I realized they this murder is a movie. people. Yeah. I like so. I realized this is a movie and like not real life, but like, Again, I'm obsessed with true crime. My dad is now a detective. I'm like, I feel like you should not let these things get to you this much. And if you do let like people like Jared Leto and criminals like Jared Leto get to you this much, you should not be a cop. And this is why we have so many cases of like police brutality and whatever. Um, Cause you know, you fucking killed Jared Leto and I was shook. Um, Jesus Christ. Like, come on, dude. <sighs> I also, like, I don't like that Rami Malek's character has closure thinking that Jared Leto was the killer and, like, Denzel, like, basically lied to him. Because, like, now they're not gonna bother with this case anymore. And I realize there's, like, some FBI dude on it now and maybe he'll figure it out that it wasn't Jared Leto and some, like, random dude that, like, never even showed up in the movie. But, like, he should, Rami Malek should not, like, live with this comfort that, like, he thinks he figured it out when he actually didn't. Come on. This movie makes me so mad. The more I'm talking about it, the madder I'm getting. Like, it's just stupid. The more I talk about it, the more I hate it. <laughs> At least you didn't spend money on it. You know, that's yeah, on the not positive. actual money. It was a gift card. Thank God it was a gift card. <laughs> well, let's move on from horrible serial killers and, and all that to a very nice, kind of more romantic film. Let's talk about Supernova. So you have to find the three brightest lights there that make the triangle this one mm -hmm. and that's where the milky way is hmm. it's good to get back on the road again don't you think but how about just exploring the outer regions of fifth gear <laughs> On the edge. <laughs> All right. If you had one wish in the world, what would it be? Well, I wish this holiday wouldn't end. <laughs> so can you tell that it's gotten worse? Sam and Tusker, partners of 20 years, are traveling across England in their old RV, visiting friends, family, and places from their past. Since Tusker was diagnosed with early-onset dementia two years ago, their time together is the most important thing they have. As the trip progresses, however, their ideas for the future clash, secrets come out, and their love for each other is tested as never before. So I will start with this film, Supernova. Uh, quite like this film. I don't say I love this film quite. I think like it never takes that full next step in being a masterpiece. Um, but I found this to be quite an emotionally devastating, beautiful story. Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci uh, are both absolutely fantastic in this film. I think they have two just incredible performances that both work individually, as well as the chemistry with each other. You really buy into their relationship. And there really is a sense of like authenticity I found in these characters to where like these characters reflect people I know in real life to a point. And I think that is like one of the most impressive things cinema can do when it's building uh, characters. Um, but yeah, this is a really emotional look at dementia and kind of the unspoken pain and battle. Um, I think specifically with Stanley Tucci's character, I don't really get why so many people say he's the supporting actor here because I think he's quite obviously the lead actor here. Um, but his character, I mean, I, I'm not going to spoil certain points. And I really don't want to get into spoilers here. Um, but there's just some devastating moments with this character. Um, it leads up to a heartbreaking third act. If anyone has seen the Netflix movie Paddleton, number one, if you haven't, go check it out. I think it is incredibly, you know, just a masterpiece. Um, this is the film that's been closest to reaching the emotional, like, powerhouse third act of uh, Paddleton for me that I've seen probably ever. Um, I, again, I don't think it ever takes the next step to being a masterpiece, but I think it comes damn close. And I think this one is really uh, powerful, at least. I thought this is also a movie that you could describe as a movie that your mom would like, but like in a better way than Penguin Bloom. Because I watched it last week and 
I happened to see my boyfriend's mom and I was telling her about it and she was like oh that sounds like a movie I would love and I was like Lynn you would love this movie because it's so soft and gentle and delicate and it's very sad but I had a great time watching it I thought it was really good um like it's just gentle that's like the best way to describe it it's nice I just oh that's how it makes me feel I'm, I'm happy we're talking about it now because it's calming me down I thought uh Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci were really good and like I don't know it's kind of like one of those movies where like again nothing really happens but a lot happens I don't know if that makes sense but yeah I, I, yeah. I, I get you yeah I don't know I think good time good time Stanley Tucci and <laughs> Colin Firth undeniably are really good in this I think I didn't dislike this I just didn't think much of it because it's sort of it's very studio safe it's just two older guys going through a, a, an illness that has sort of been adapted quite a lot in in film and I think back to Still Alice with um, Julianne Moore wasn't it um, yeah but it's it's sort of uh, the it's not bad for sort of a, a piece that breaks a director in the mainstream Harry McQueen does a good job here he has a lot of nice establishing shots and he has a lot of good camera work my my issue with it though is that it's sort of it's very similar to sort of the, the drama we'd expect the, the dementia angle is very important to the film but I don't think it's engaging enough to sort of I don't know it, it works I, I don't think you can deny that but I, it just felt happenstance it was just a sad road trip movie I do think it's strange because I think this is like by far the best film we're talking about on the podcast and I do like legitimately love this film to a point but I think it is weird how little I feel like there is to say about this film I, I like it, it is so good like in, in so many different ways but I feel like like yeah it's really sweet it's really tender the performances are great um but I, I it's weird because there's not really that much to dissect this is a film that plays it pretty straightforward like there's not a lot of conflicting emotions to talk about there's not really a lot of like even issues to get into um it's not even like oh it does one thing wrong so like you can kind of dissect that it's kind of a film that you know what you're getting yourself into this is a sweet love story and you see this love slowly kind of slip away and them have to come to terms with this and they come to terms that their future is you know being lost um and you know what you're getting yourself into and it doesn't like break what you expect at any point you know what you're getting yourself into it does it really really well but like, I don't know how much there is to like really conversate, which is, you know, <laughs> bad time to think about this doing a podcast, right? Like definitely not best podcast material. I do feel strange about that though. Cause I think it is great, but it really, it is what it is. And it doesn't play around with that really at all for better or for worse. Yeah, it's I, very... I agree with you. Sorry. Um, I wrote the review for Supernova for Clapper's website and I had such like a hard time writing it because I liked it so much, but it, like there's not really anything to talk about because it's just like gentle, soft, tender, gay, and sad. Those are like the words to describe it. And like, there's there's not really anything more to it, which is fine. Um, I don't know. I, I thought like, we already talked about it. They like, they're really great actors. They liked the pacing. Like, I don't, I don't know what, this episode is really like not great because we have no, no. one to talk about. <laughs> this is a horrible episode. It's, you know, it's like January. Cinema sucks right now. You know, it's, you know, it is what it is. And like Supernova is good. It's just, there's not <laughs> a lot to talk about. I don't know what else. Their dog was really cute. Talk about oh, that. Yeah. Great Ruby. dog. I liked her. What a good um, episode we've had for animals. I, I penguin right? was cute enough, you know, not a penguin, but a cute animal. Mm-hmm. The, the main issue I had with Supernova was, uh, although Firth and Tushi are really good, it, their, their performances feel like one-note caricatures. You've got one that's the over-emotional side, and then the other person is the exact opposite, the very super serious, we've got to deal with this head-on issue. You know, we, we've got two very big emotions just displayed in two different characters and it feels like they have much going on aside from that one clear personality trait where you know Stanley Tucci's making light of it Colin Firth's really distressed I thought they could have shown that a, a bit of both in, in either of them I actually liked that they didn't really go into like any backstory on the characters and just like things were slowly revealed about them as the movie kept going um like how Tusker is like an author and then like later when Colin Firth is like 
reading um, Tusker's uh, diary, I guess. And he like sees that he hasn't been writing. And that's like a whole thing. And then like how Colin Firth's mm-hmm. character Sam is his name. I think Sam is like a musician and then that's why they're going to the concert. Um, like, and how Tusker's like really into astronomy, I almost said astrology, astronomy and all these things. <laughs> and like, that's why the movie is called Supernova because it's like bubbling and bubbling. And then there's an explosion at the end that we can't talk about because we'll ruin it for you guys. Um, like, I don't know, like, I, I liked that things were slowly revealed, but I get what you mean, Ewan. No, I also agree. I think it's hard yeah, to like... The, the... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, sorry, sorry. You go. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to a Canadian here. Um, <laughs> I, I also don't like hate that. I don't really judge this film because I think your note on like this is something parents would love. It really speaks true. Like this is not trying to be... I mean, again boy, I'm just talking in circles here. Bad films for the podcast. I'm horrible today at talking, so that's great. Um, But this is a film like for, like I feel like for parents and for grandparents. And it's just meant to be like a basic display of love and like tragedy. And it's not trying to be anything more. And if it was trying to be more, it would lose like its goal of what it's trying to be and become something else. So I I really can't judge this film or really even fault this film for like any of that lacking because it's clearly like just doesn't belong in what the film is trying to be, I would say. But also that means it's not for any three of us. Um, so it makes sense that we feel like it's lacking in that department. I don't think there's anything wrong with it being slice of life. I like how it's revealed. I just don't think any of it really, aside from the diary stuff, I don't think there's anything for me that sort of sticks out as that's really interesting that I'll develop later on. It's just sort of two, two people coming to terms with the end of the relationship, but it's not because of their problems it's because of just outside forces that they can't control and what i do think is that's handled really well i just don't think it goes far enough it's you know it it, at times there's pockets of it with music and uh, the visuals it just feels rather generic it feels very quintessentially british you know you've got two people touring the united kingdom in a camper van and it's sort of i don't know it just it, it it's not disconnected from the characters there's definite passion here for for the leading characters i just think it could have been more i think it could have there could have been more depth i think this is a movie that you would feel more if you were like in the same like demographic as the characters because yes. like we're all very young and like um obviously have not been in a you know true love relationship for like decades like these characters have so i feel like the three of us like don't have the experience to like understand what it's like for them but if you're like an adult and have been married for like 40 freaking years you know um like a real adult like the ones in their like 50s and 60s you're not a child like us (laughs) yeah a 23 year old child you wouldn't get it um like I, I feel like this is this is definitely a movie for like older people and who are like having health issues and like you're gonna die soon and all these things and I don't know. I feel like I think about this a lot. Uh, again, so it's for Jakob, I have kind of like, yeah, no, he's not that old. Um, I don't know. I obviously have like a very morbid preoccupation with death. Like I'm very scared of dying, hence my extreme paranoia of being murdered. But I also like think about like getting old and like dying and like getting dementia and all these things. It's when my great grandma's had it. <sighs> but like, you know, she was fine. She like remembered a lot of us and you just had to remind her and then it would come back. So I feel like I didn't really like feel the like depth of this movie. Cause you know, like Tusker is having like really hard time with this and his dementia seems like a lot worse than like the dementia that I have like experienced in my life. So like when he was like being traumatic as hell, again, I don't want to ruin it. I was like, okay, come on. It's, it's, you'll be okay. You don't need to do this, you know? <laughs> but again, maybe if I was like, that age and experiencing it for myself, I would feel differently. I feel like I've gone on a lot of weird tangents today. I'm sorry. (laughs) I had too much caffeine this morning. (laughs) I think it's, yeah, it's what you said about that fear of death though. That supernova sort of accelerated that fear for me as well. It's like I turned 21 in like the final days of 2020. And and I watched this a few months before that and I was like, oh my God, that's going to be me one day (laughs) in a camper van with dementia trying to write a diary. And it's, oh terrifying but you know it's it's a harmless film i think i don't know if it'll do well awards wise 
Because as much as 2020 has been devoid of real content, I don't think this will be picked up too much. It feels too small, even though it's got big names. I agree. Not a lot of people are talking about it, which I think is weird. If it was like a normal year, I think this would be much bigger. But because this shows, at least in the States, to go theatrically in a time where like theaters are shut down, you know, dumb choice. Um, I, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, which is a shame. It's not as big of a shame as like Kajillionaire, to be clear. But, you know, still a shame. This being forgotten about the film about dementia, I'm sure there's something there you can say. <laughs> I also find it interesting how, like, this movie, it's not supposed to be, like, scary. Um, but we, as, like, young people who haven't experienced it, like, aging to the extent that they have, it's, like, scary for us to imagine that because we haven't experienced it, I guess. I think yeah. dementia and aging in general, like two of the biggest fears that you can have. I think especially something yeah. like this, like you see someone who like they found their soulmates and they found, you know, who they're going to be with. And then you're like, oh God, what if I'm, you know, this age in the camper, but I don't have the loved one. It's just like, it is, it is horrifying. There's it also is. just something so heartwarming about like gay men that are like old, because that's not something that you see very often just because of a lot of, terrible history that has happened to like gay men so I don't know I'm sad that it's not being talked about it more because it's freaking heartwarming and nice to see like them as a happy gay couple and I know like Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci aren't gay um but you know it's it's, it's nice it's nice to see it and I yeah. wish people were talking about it more it, it's another like Penguin Bloom it's it's nice to see that representation that's coming forward and it's being more prominent in larger projects but Again, like Penguin Bloom, I don't think it's been handled quite well. Mm. But it, I, I don't think this is a film that you would not benefit from seeing. I think to watch this film, it, it, it's a nice time. It's enjoyable. I just I just wish it was a bit more. I think that conversation is pretty interesting, actually, that you know these actors are not gay. Naomi Watts, obviously, is not... Um you know doesn't share the disability disability yeah. that her character does and the casting there and i think specifically like if you ever want to see how film twitter is so fickle right in a bad movie they're gonna fucking destroy that film for this reason because yeah. both these movies are decently good supernova granted a lot better i think than penguin bloom everyone's just okay with it and they let it fly under the rug like i feel like it's absolutely worthy to be like oh that's a problem within these films but because they're good, people are just like, eh, it's fine. So I, I, if you ever just want to see like, oh, do people really care about these social issues past just like when it's popular too? Look no further than this episode. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when The Upside came out, that Brian Cranston film? Yeah. That was, I think that's the most controversy any film looking to represent disabilities had in recent years. I remember the fallout of that and it's sort of, it's odd that, Penguin Bloom hasn't been met with the same reception. Now, whether or not that's because it's not getting a theatrical release and it's just sort of Netflix canon fodder, I'm not sure. But it, I don't know, it's odd. And especially when the upside is marginally better. Yeah. But no, it's, a, it's an odd one. Yeah, it's really interesting how people pick and choose certain things to get mad about. Yeah. Oh, like um, when the miseducation of Cameron Post came out and everyone was mad at like Chloe Grace Moretz because she's like she's playing a lesbian and she's not a lesbian I'm like what if she is and then like a few months later she was like pictured holding like hands with a girl and everyone was like hmm so I don't know I feel like when it comes to at least with representation of like sexual orientation and whatever it's like harder to like knock straight actors for playing them because how do you actually know yeah I legitimately think Colin Firth is also kind of protected because he was in Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia 2 and he's been portrayed. Gay icon. He's become a gay icon despite not being gay, absolutely. I think like he's just had that image around him where people are like, yeah, that fits, even though it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like, isn't his character in Mamma Mia 2? Or he's like, his character is like gay. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I just made a connection there. <laughs> this is a tragic Mamiya 3. This is a very <laughs> tragic Mamiya 3. <laughs> this, this is Harry eight years hence. Oh no. <laughs> well, and on that very deep and long and intriguing discussion of these three cinematic masterpieces, why don't we round out Clappercast uh, like we always do? We're going to end on the crew's latest film recommendations. 
Uh, I'll start quickly. Uh, Sundance has been kicking my ass, so I haven't been able to see a lot. One thing I did see was the short film Apollo 11 Quarantine, which basically reminded me how much I loved the documentary Apollo 11 uh, from 2019, directed by Todd Douglas Miller. Uh, it is currently available in the United States on Hulu. I'm not sure about everywhere else. Uh, this is a documentary that really blew me away. I got to see an IMAX, and I'm very happy I did. It's all about Apollo 11, uh, but it's completely made with footage taken from the time and all the audio is uh, audio from the time, uh, but it's stunning. It looks as good as a modern movie does today. The visuals are so clear. The colors are so dynamic. Um, it is thrilling. It is shocking. It is genuinely one of the most intriguing and most engaging documentaries I've seen. And it brings this time and space and in American history to life. And they do have the new short documentary quarantine focus on their time coming back home and how they had to spend, I think, like two weeks in quarantine, you know, try a year, bud, you know, then we'll talk at this point with us. Um, but it genuinely is quite a good short documentaries, but I do th would recommend the larger documentary. Uh, Alina, why don't we give us your recommendation now? So other than the stuff I've watched for the podcast, the only other thing I've watched recently is The Dig, mostly because I've my, my day job has like just really been kicking my ass. So I just get home and I'm depressed and sad and just don't want to watch anything. So I forced myself to watch The Dig yesterday, again, because I'm writing the review and I probably would not have watched it if I was not writing the review again, because I'm very depressed and like, don't want to do anything right now. Um, don't worry about me. I'm just being dramatic. <laughs> um, anyway, so I watched The Dig because I'm a history major and I was like, oh my God, they're being archaeologists. That's fun. Uh, let's watch this movie. It has Ray Fiennes. I think that's how you say his name. Um, Carrie Mulligan and Lily James. I forgot she was in it and then she popped up. I was like, oh my God, the queen. Um, so I love her. Uh, I liked it a lot. It's like another one of those like, Netflix dumped movies and I feel like if you're not into like history or archaeology or all this shit you probably won't like like it because it's kind of like boring and more about the characters but I really liked it again because I'm a history major I had a great time watching them dig up this fucking ship um <laughs> there's like a lot of like subplots and like some of them are kind of boring like there's this whole like romance thing with Lily James and like Carrie Mulligan's cousin I was like this is not necessary you just fucking dig up the ship um <sighs> There's like this point where this thing called the Ipswich Museum wants to take over the dig because Ray Fine's character is an excavator. He's not a trained archaeologist. It's like this whole thing. There's like a lot of issues on like class and whatever. The British Museum comes in at one point and oh my god, I fucking hate the British Museum. They have just had a lot of bullshit colonialism going on. They make me so mad. Like they need to just give back all the shit they've like plundered in the colonial era like fuck you guys but then they wouldn't make money Alina. that's Who not very fair. the british museum's free you can go in there for free all museums in the uk are free the I don't museum know near me shut down <laughs> okay so like I, i'm sorry for this tangent again again i've had too much caffeine i have not talked to anybody in like a, a week except like customers so i'm ranting a lot today i'm sorry the british museum are such fucking assholes they like need to give back the fucking Pantheon marbles to Greece so they can have them in Greece so just fucking give back all the shit you have and like they just think in this movie that they can waltz in and take over the stick because they're the British Museum like you guys are so classist and annoying fuck you if they hadn't stolen I, if they hadn't stolen all this shit from colonized people they would be worthless and nothing because no offense Britain you guys don't really have very much cool stuff Got the Anglo-Saxons. Got some Vikings. The Vikings are fun. That's not even from your country. You guys are lame. You stole a bunch of all this shit. We've got colonized my mom's country, so I have a really hard ass like spot for you guys. We've well, got Stonehenge. <laughs> I thought we were gonna just say goodbye to the British Museum audience, but I guess we're gonna say goodbye <laughs> to the British audience too. I didn't think we'd I know, that's our main audience. I'm sorry. So you're anyway. not a big fan of Night at the Museum Three, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> No, I feel like I I have, I've only seen that one once since it came out, so I guess I'm not. I, I don't know. There's just a lot of nuance with museum and colonialism and housing artifacts, and this is not the podcast for it. And I'm sorry for going on this tangent. I know we're supposed to be talking about films, but this part of the movie pissed me off. And you no, know, if you are into history and museums and all this shit, you're probably going to like the dig. But if you're not, it's kind of boring. Um, but, you know, that's my recommendation. And again, I'm sorry for the tangent. I'm very angry today. 
<laughs> well, on that note, Ewan, what are your recommendations? Um, you know, what? I, I I forgot before I came on the podcast. Oh yeah, I need a recommendation. So I was just going to recommend Space Buddies, but I've actually found a film worth recommending, and it's called Bullworth. It's a a late nineties Warren Beatty film. He directed it, produced it, wrote it, starred in it. The one man show, and he plays a suicidally disillusioned politician who puts a, a contract out on himself for a hitman to kill him and then he'll just go to speeches and rallies and public events and just speak what actually comes to his mind and it's a lot like um what was that steve carell film that came out um a year ago <laughs> the, the one where he helped chris cooper become mayor of an old texan oh film. irresistible yeah it's a lot like that but bull was good um it's like the candidate with robert redford because you've got like warren Beatty, halle berry Don Cheadle and Jack Warden all coming together to be like, yeah, this is guy just doesn't care about his political career. He's actually at his wit's end. The man hasn't slept in eight days and he's going around in a limousine driving around with Halle Berry saying, where should we stop off next? Who should we go and insult? And, and then there's a, a subplot with an oil tycoon and it manages to deliver this social commentary on just about every issue of late 90s American politics in about 90 minutes. It's, it's fascinating. Well, that was a much kinder way to recommend a film uh, there's also a bit where they hit the british museum no it's all really? good <laughs> obviously the lesson i've learned today is not to drink caffeine right before the podcast uh that's gonna be <laughs> it for this week's episode of Clappercast. where can we find everyone on social media ewan where where are you i'm on twitter at you and gledo and i'm on letterboxd as well just you and gledo alina i'm at alina Falls on twitter and letterboxd Okay, and you can find me at BP underscore movie reviews or on Letterboxd, just Carson Tamar. And you can find all the latest releases of film and television reviewed at www.clapperltd.co.uk and find our social links on Clapper at Facebook, Clapper LTD on Letterboxd and at Clapper LTD on Twitter, as well as YouTube, which I'm still too lazy to put the URL in. So I don't know what it is, but you can find it on clapper.com, whatever it is. Uh, make sure to rate, subscribe, and follow us to be notified when the next episode releases every Wednesday, uh, even when there's boring films to talk about. And thank you all for listening. We'll get back to you next week to discuss all things cinema. Bye.